Talk Back Matters from the Salvos. What was it like for those living where the bushfires first began? Lauren shares what she saw from her family's home at Batemans Bay, her personal experience during the bushfires. I woke, look, I woke up really early in the morning. Um, I'm an early riser anyway, but I woke because I could just hear kind of twigs and sticks falling on the roof and the wind was howling. And so I quickly got up um, and started to check all the fires up because we knew that it was going to be a bad fire danger day that day. And I was um, quite concerned because the fire had spread very, very quickly, quicker than what I thought it would. And it had already crossed the highway at the small town of Mogo, which is a tourist town just south of Batemans Bay where I was located. Yeah. So at that point, I woke my parents up and we went outside. The heat was intense. Um, we could see where the fire was, about probably two k's away on the edge of Batemans Bay. Um, and they've got lots and lots of trees that overhang their house. Their house isn't concrete. It's an old fibro house. So we made the decision by about... You know, 8.30 that morning to just leave. Um, you know, um, my dad had a fractured arm, so there was no way he was going to be defending the house from spot fires, and I've got two young children, so we decided to be, be safer if we just got out of there. Can you just go back to that very moment when you woke up? What were you actually, were you, what was going through your mind? There's that, you know, when, when you've got a heightened sense of stress, or when I do, you know, your heart's just beating a little bit faster, you feel... Um, I guess I, I felt a feeling of dread when I saw the fire spread, when I looked at the fires near me at, um, I thought this is, this is really happening. Um, people's homes are going to be lost. Immediately I thought about homes of people that we know in that area. Were they even still there? Did those people get out? Yeah. What's going on here, you know? Yeah. And were they? Um, the people that we knew, um, their houses were saved. They didn't go. Uh, but I know there were many houses that were lost there and, of course, so many businesses on that main street of Mogo were just demolished. Wow. And so going back to you guys getting out of the house, where did you go? What, what happened then? So luckily for us, we did have a safe place to go. My parents have recently bought a unit that they're going to rent out, so they were just recarpeting. Um, it was empty, and wow. it's a concrete build right across the road from the river, so a much safer place to be. So we relocated there, um, and I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, had a pretty bird's eye view of the water bombing that was underway towards the back of Batemans Bay, towards um, the eastern end up the river, Nelligan, um, and that kind of thing. So we could kind of see where the fires were around us um, and I guess how kind of close they were relatively. We couldn't see flames, but we definitely knew stuff was going on because of the, um, the sirens. You know, we'd see fire trucks race past on the road in front of us one way and then another time they'd be racing back another way. Wow. That must have been so traumatic for your kids. Did they experience any sort of trauma? Or they, At the beginning of the day, I allowed them to play their um, iPads, their, their games. Uh, we had power and they thought that was such a treat. So they kind of, I guess I was hoping, they were a little bit oblivious. 
Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, they'd, they'd get up and come over when we'd be speaking to each other. Oh, look out over here or, oh, what's happening over there? Or um, So they'd dip in and out of yeah. conscious awareness. Um, but it wasn't until at around the midday mark my husband called me. Now, he wasn't with us because he was working. He's a shift worker and he'd just woken up off night shift and had received my text messages telling him what was going on. And I'd sent a few videos. And at that point, I had him on FaceTime. And the sky turned a really funny shade of, went a bit greenish. I don't know, really. But it was just a bit odd. It seemed like the wind was shifting. Things got quite still. Yeah. Um, and we saw across the river... Uh, some smoke in a new location and some water bombers headed over there. And we watched this smoke cloud um, cross this vast expanse of river where the river had even opened up to the to the ocean and crossed over to where um, the marina was. It just was really low to the water and seemed to just plume across the water like a wave. And we... we we were thinking, what is going on? What is that? What's happening? Then the fire truck screamed past up to where um, it, we thought it went to at the marina. Um, maybe it was a spot fire. I don't know. Probably yeah. won't know. Yeah. Uh, but then the sky turned really red and then completely dark. So at 12.20 in the day, it was completely black and even more so by the fact that at that point the power went off. And at that point... My kids got scared. We're talking to Lauren about her personal experience during the bushfires. So you're not a sit-back-and-watch sort of person. You actually went to help. Tell us about what you did. That's right. Um, I knew that we would have a team of people running the evacuation centre because that's what the Salvation Army does in times of emergencies. Uh, We feed um, people who are involved and affected. So in some places we feed firefighters. In other places we... Um, organise the food at the evacuation centres. Sometimes we're doing both. Um, but as soon as that darkness kind of passed um, and the power didn't come back on, but, you know, the, the sky became kind of lighter again, um, I settled my kids. My mum and dad were settled. So I got in the car and drove down to the evacuation centre and told them, hey, I'm a salvo, I'm here to help, what can I do? And so what did they get you doing straight away? Look, um, the whole situation, as you can imagine, was really busy. Yeah, um, People were constantly streaming in. Um, there were two ambulances on site for the whole afternoon that afternoon. Uh, just I saw them looking and in people's eyes, flushing people's eyes. I can only imagine that was to do with debris or smoke. Um, I saw one person that looked like they were getting treated for a burn on their arm. Uh, there were kind of pets around. There were um, people um, dealing with that. The Red Cross ladies were um, talking to people as they came in. Um, there were people from a government department there registering people. So it was a very, very busy location. Um, it was a sports centre. So the evacuation centre site was in a football um, club. But then there were um, three other locations within that sports complex, the tennis court centre, the basketball court and the library and university. And each of those um, buildings had been opened just 
because of the amount of people that um, they needed to have. Yeah. So one of the things that um, I do pretty good, Chris, is that I <laughs> I speak. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an okay communicator. Um, so they got me to relay a lot of messages through to those different um, centres. Uh, I got a team of people, just volunteers that were there to help bring over um, big slabs of water with me. Um, at um, other times, we would take like um, boxes that had, you know, muesli bars and chips and things um, for afternoon tea to those places and just to communicate, to say, okay, hey, um, this is what we're doing over there at that main site. We'll be serving dinner at about this time. If you can't get there yourself, you know, can we have a nominated person from this room that will go and, you know, get meals for people that are not able to get there? So just kind of that communication role. And then when I was back in the um, the main evacuation centre, you know, you're doing what you need to do. You're buttering bread and you're... Uh, we yeah. had people cutting ham off the bone and um, we had other people, you know, just um, sorting through the donations. People were hugely, hugely generous uh, with bringing in non-perishable food uh, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so I guess it, it was just a hive of activity, really, and I was just doing um, what I could to help. Good on you. I really do want to say as well that... Um, you know, the locals down there did a fantastic job. Um, Captain Ben Knight, who was running the evacuation centre, was um, doing an amazing job getting um, groceries from the supermarkets. You know, at one point he was grocery shopping with his team of people in the pitch darkness with torches uh, wow. because the power had been cut, obviously, across the town. Wow. So working in some really demanding, um, bizarre situations and just staying calm and, you know, everybody got fed that night. We had people from the community come in, the local um, St. John's, uh, the local, yeah, St. John's Greek Orthodox Church turned up kind of towards the end of the afternoon and said, we were going to have a massive New Year's Eve celebration tonight, but we've obviously cancelled that. We've got 450 Sivlakis ready to cook. You're kidding. Oh, oh and, well, and good said, on can them. We, can we cook this on your barbecue? Can we serve dinner tonight? And we had answers to prayer like that just throughout those couple of days that I served there. You know, it was just amazing, the support of the community. It's not just the Salvation Army doing this stuff, Chris. It's, it's us partnering with the community um, who are just stepping up and just going above and beyond to help even when their own houses are under threat. It was just amazing. That's Lauren's story. You can read more about her story in this week's issue of Salvo's War Crime magazine. Ask for it at your local Salvo store or Salvo's core. Light and life. The Salvo's weekly radio show.